like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and I've got a really great guest for you on the show today. It's Teacher Tom. Hi, Heather. Uh, hi. So tell folks what you want them to know about you. Uh, you know, I go by Teacher Tom. I've been, uh, uh, was a preschool teacher for the better part of 20 years in a cooperative preschool. And we can talk about that a little bit, what that sure. means, because to me, that's a real, uh, the, that model of early childhood education is real central to who I am and how I think about early childhood education. Um, you know, and uh, I've written a couple books. I've uh, been blogging for, gosh, since 2009, writing posts almost every single day on the Teacher Tom blog. And that is really kind of, in, in many ways, the centerpiece of my life. <laughs> it has been for a long yeah. time now. Um, and so, you know, and I've, um, you know, I've got, you know, so I guess that's what I want people to know. That yeah. We can ask other things. Sure. Um, so before we jump in with the quote, we've, we've decided to start with, why don't you just talk about the co-ops, the co-op setup okay. a little bit? Well, for people who don't know, uh, cooperative preschool or a cooperative school of any kind, a prop, cooperative preschool is one that is owned and operated by the parents who would choose to enroll their children. And this isn't a metaphor. It is a legal entity. And so if you enroll your children at the Woodland Park Cooperative School, you become an equal owner with the other 65 or so families who've enrolled their children there. Uh, and what that means is that um, the parents do everything that goes into making a school operate other than planning, you know, the classroom planning and taking the lead in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So that means they do the administrative work, they do the financial work, they do the, you know, the field trip planning and the gardening and the maintenance and the all everything that goes into it, which is really kind of, in many ways, a beautiful thing. And, it all, yeah. and obviously, for some people, they don't have the time for it. But for families that do have that opportunity, it creates a community in which their children uh, where they know all their children's um, parents and they know all the other children and it creates this incredible community. And I always like to say, you know, as Alfie Cohen, you know, the author and education author has said, you know, progressive education is marinated in community. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that, you know, when you look around at every preschool setting, every earlier setting, you see, you know, there's a community of children, always forms. Um, but in a very real sense, a cooperative model becomes a community of families. Mm -hmm. And I think to me that when I look back on the big broad sweep of human history, that's how children naturally are educated mm -hmm. is in these communities of families where it's not just one or two adults, just, just their parents, but the, the people of all ages and from all backgrounds kind of working together. And, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah, and, I was just going to say, it sounds like it's exactly a That's exactly what a cooperative model does. And the other piece that I really like about it that I really value is that on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, the parents are expected to work with me in the classroom as my assistant teachers. So I was the only paid employee in the whole school, but on any given day, I might have anywhere from five to 12 other adults in the room working with me, supporting the program and, and getting to know how things work and, and working with the kids. Uh -huh. That's that's really cool. I um, I just can't imagine how different that would allow things to be. Well, it's just um, from with for me as I mean, one of the biggest things is when I talk to other teachers in more traditional settings, you know, they all laugh when I say, you know, if when you get an email from a parent that says we need to talk, <laughs> your heart goes in your throat, right? <laughs> Whereas in a co-op school, like every day, every parent is saying to coming up and talking to you and you sure. 99% of your interactions are all either really positive or you're helping them or um, they're coming to you with ideas for how to like improve things, which is, you know, amazing to have all of these people constantly coming in and saying, you know what my kid really likes or, and so yeah. you have this, this, this real um, sense of collaboration around and it's based on children. And I think that's one of the things that I love so much and that we, I feel like we miss uh -huh. uh, in the modern world is because, you know, people want to say, you know, people, we all kind of know we're sort of disconnected, right? I mean, we, in modern society, we don't have the kind of connections a small village has. Yeah. And, it, and people want to blame technology and they want to blame the economy and they want to blame, you know, whatever it is, what we've done is we've taken a traditional village and we've taken all the children and put them over here and they spend, you know, 18 years or more mm -hmm. over in this place we call school, not really interacting with adults other than the educators. Mm -hmm. And then we have the grownups all going to this place called work where the kids almost never get to go. And then we've even taken the grandparents and put them in their <laughs> senior centers and all yes. this kind of stuff. Uh. They're in a complete, and so we've divided, we've, we've almost ripped apart the village. Uh -huh. And so for me, that, that, that's a real challenge um, as an educator, especially for young children. And, you know, it's, it's changed parenting so dramatically. Uh -huh. You know, suddenly now we have parents who feel like they're all on their own. You know, it's sort of like we have this idea of, of parenting and parenting is a stressful, serious job. And, mm -hmm. and you, you know, we don't have the grandmas around helping. We don't have the 12 year olds neighbor, you know, kid you can call over to yeah. come help you. You don't have the aunts and uncles and neighbors who are kind of always keeping an eye out on your kids when they're out in the streets and running around and doing things. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have all this parent burnout and, and they're plunking their kids in front of television sets because they just got to get some quiet time. Well, yeah. that's because we don't have the community around us to support one another. I'll, you know, growing it, maybe you grew up this way too, but growing up, you know, mom could, mom could just say, you know what, I got stuff to do. Why don't you go over to Johnny's house today and play? And, you know, and I'd go over and hang out with Johnny's mom uh -huh. for the day. Or she would say, you know, or she would just, sometimes she'd just open the door and send me outside and right. there'd be other kids out there and just trust that, you know, the neighborhood, the village mm -hmm. was keeping an eye on me. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I really do think that's one of the reasons I really value the cooperative model. And I would sure. love to see somehow more of that happen. I, I, 
I have these great hopes. Maybe you've uh-huh. heard me say this, that, you know, there's so many horrible things happening right now with COVID in particular, and, and it's, and it's, it's tra- challenging and it's throwing everything upside down. But, you know, maybe out of this is the time to really radically rethink what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are surveys, surveys out there, at least in the U.S., um, where parents are, a lot of parents are seriously considering continuing homeschooling mm-hmm. um, and, and not going back um, to a regular school, at least for the time being. And some of them are doing it because they're afraid, but some of them are doing it because they've just looked around, they see their kids and they go, man, I, you know, I haven't spent time with my kid. Mm-hmm. And this is a pretty, I, my, the guy cutting my hair the other day, he said to me, he started saying to me that, you know, his five-year-old daughter, he said, you know, I've been on furlough. You know, I've been, you know, just having no job, just being at home with my kid. He said, you know, this is, these have been the best months of my life. Honestly, I hate yeah. to say that around other people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm kind of hoping that we can kind of create that, that parents maybe have a little better understanding of what their kids sure. are all about mm-hmm. and maybe crave that opportunity to spend time with their kids. Right. I do. I, I just almost always think, I guess I think, um, that the key to making the changes we see are necessary in early childhood and in elementary education is the parent wanting something different. Mm-hmm. the family wanting something different. And I, I heard a lot of that in what you just were describing about your school that you, that you have. Um, so I want to, um, I mean, I, we could do a whole episode on that and maybe I'm going to put a pin in that for another one. Um, because honestly, now I've got Bronfenbrenner's ecological <laughs> theory, you know, model theory going through my head now as you talk about the village. But okay. So anyway, um, I, you know, I could have picked just about anything. You've got thousands of blog posts and you know the two books now um but i read and this was weeks ago but i read one of your blog posts about sales resistance Mm -hmm. um so i was really interested in having you come on and talk with me about this because um i think that whenever we can connect something a child is struggling with or going through or an expectation we have of a child to something in our adult human lives, (laughs) it it can make a better connection because we have no problem as adults um, identifying ourselves as fully human and individual. And, um, you know, there's reasons for the things we do, but then it becomes so difficult to offer children that same consideration. So, um, so this idea of, of sales resistance um, mm-hmm. was really interesting to me. So here's, this is actually the closing quote to the, to the blog post, but you closed it by writing, I'm proud of the hundreds of children I've sent into the world with a keen air for BS, ear for BS, I do that every time, who know that their own agenda is important and who have a healthy ability to resist a sales pitch. So, um, so tell me about sales resistance. And- oh, well, I mean, you know, think about it yourself, right? I mean, you know, I'm the one that's, I used to do this job and I wrote about that in the post, I think, where I, uh, back in college and I was working for the Oregon State Public Interest Research Group, which is a (laughs) consumer protection lobbying organization. But basically it was a minimum wage job where I went door to door trying to get people to join the group. Um, And I would go and we were going at dinner time, right? Because we knew we'd find them at home. Mm -hmm. And, or at least that was more likely to find people at home and you'd go knock on their door and sort of, I never did it physically, but sort of verbally, you put your foot in the door and you don't let them shut the door and they have to, and, and, and you just keep going at them. And that was kind of the idea. You kept talking to them about your program. And I believed in what we were doing. So I wasn't 
you know, selling snake oil or anything. Mm -hmm. I was selling something I believed in. But until somebody said no to me, until somebody firmly said, I'm not interested, or you're really rude to come right now, or something like that, I would just keep going. And um, I always respected the people who just said no right away, who just let me know that, you know what, you're bugging me, get out of my face. Yeah, sure. And what, but I was, and I actually started to grow a great deal of pity for the people who clearly didn't want me there, but they, for whatever reason, they couldn't just, they had no resistance. Mm -hmm. And often, I mean, I remember my boss saying to me at one point, he said, you know, you'll see those no solicitors signs. He goes, those signs are up because they don't have sales resistance. <laughs> he goes, so, he goes, he goes, cause they know they're going to buy something from you. And, and he said, and you're not selling anything. You're offering them an opportunity to become part of this, you know, this movement. And, you know, I took him at his word. I mean, I was a kid, right? I mean, right. I was just listening to my boss and doing what they suggested I do. And I ultimately quit because I felt like I was bamboozling people. Uh -huh. I was getting them to do things that they felt were actually maybe even against their interest. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like, you know, so I put that in the context of, of school and working with young children. And, you know, here we are constantly, you know, this whole concept of, you know, you and I both are play-based educators, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure most people listening are play-based mm -hmm. educators, but so much of what school is, uh, has become is adults deciding what kids need to know and then trying to sell it to them. And these kids, you know, and, and so, and so to, to what we're doing is we're setting them up for a situation where we're constantly selling them. We give them lots of unsolicited advice, mm -hmm. which is kind of almost everything we say to a child is unsolicited. And I don't know about you, but you give me unsolicited advice. I resent that. I do not like a stranger coming up on, my, on the street and saying something like, you know, I could help you with your haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that has led to many uncomfortable situations. It would somebody for me comes up and the advisor, <laughs> you know exactly. And so, yeah. and so I feel like so. Anyway, to me, I want kids to go through the world knowing what they know, and knowing that you know if what I'm listening to it doesn't match with with, with what I already know or what I, I want them to know that they have not just a right but a responsibility to say no, that's not right. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, they don't have to be jerks about it. But just, you know, most of the time around preschool, that's, a, you know, a kid laughing at you, right? I mean, or just you, walking away from a conversation <laughs> or just walking away because, and so to me, that's, you know, but the ones I feel bad for are the ones who have been made to sit there listening to the sales pitch, whether they like it or not, whether they mm. buy it or not, whether they're interested in it or not. And it's, it's what a, um, what a bad way to spend your time on the planet. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I was writing a note because I want to come back to two things. Um, so just that idea of, um, you know, there's some children that have just either it fits their personality to sit and accept your full sales pitch, or they've been really taught that, you know, they've been punished for not or 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 somehow have met with disapproval for, for not doing that. So um, how how do you connect that then to the teachers who are offering the sales pitch? Like, how, should we be encouraging those children to resist sales pitches or do we just? Well, I think, you know, what we should be doing is, I mean, to me, that, that, that line, having, um, developing their BS detectors, yeah. you know, I think that's really, really, to me, that's what it is. So what I try to do is I, you know, I try very hard not to instruct children. Mm -hmm. um, occasionally, you know, we're adults, we can't yeah. help ourselves. I don't care how hard you don't want to instruct, you still instruct. I try very hard to uh, avoid directive statements, period, come here, sit down, do this, do that. 
Mm -hmm. I, and I actually have come around to really trying to avoid questioning children, even even asking questions, because when I ask a question, you know, unless it's very specific and, and I know exactly where the conversation is and that the child is interested in that, mm -hmm. I may very well be derailing their own thought process. Right. But what I want them to do. So what I often do, though, is I will often say things to children that are obviously untrue. Because I want them to know that it's, like I said, they're not just their right, but their responsibility to call me on it. So, mm. you know, I don't know what it might be. I was going to say, you know, um, I mean, a good example might be, um, you know, if I, I tell a children, hey, this is a green, green ball. Uh -huh. And they know it's a red ball. And I say, no, teacher, Tom, you're wrong. You know, you're joking. Uh -huh. And I want them to know that that's their relationship with me, that it shouldn't be sitting there and just accepting information. But it should be, if it doesn't match what they already know about the world, then it's, they need to push back on it. And that's what we need to do, you know, with all the BSers in the world, because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of BS out there. And a lot of it is sales BS, but we see it in our politics. Uh, we see it, we see it, you know, in our schools, we mm -hmm. see it in any place. There's an institution, there's somebody out there trying to BS you. Right. I was just going to say, we see it in teacher training programs that's right. and, mm -hmm. and uh, graduate or, you know, college courses for yeah for t aspiring teachers. And I think it's a, that's a fundamental um, skill uh, of a good citizen in a democratic society. Yeah. If we had a different kind of society, if we were, you know, totalitarian states or theocracies or something else, you know, there, we probably would be needing to teach our children just to shut up and, and buy, the, buy the party line. Mm -hmm. But we say we're self-governing. And that means we need good citizens who are capable yeah. Uh, and have the skills of, uh, and those things involve critical thinking, thinking for yourself, asking lots of questions, um, standing up for your own beliefs, even when yeah. those around you disagree, uh, understanding that you contribute to society in, a in more ways than just going out and voting or just, mm -hmm. you know, or just getting a job and, and, and earning an income, but you contribute politically, you contribute artistically, you contribute as members of a community, as, as neighbors, as, mm -hmm. you know, and all kinds of, and every one of those is part of a democratic society, which is again, back to that village yeah. where we're all in it together, trying to build something um, with the children and through the children and together alongside them, because after all, they are citizens as well. Right. And for some, it might just be as simple as giving yourself permission to think differently about what's being presented to you. We, we, we need to develop that as adults so that we can yeah. extend it. Well, you know, the stuff we learn when we're young, we tend to carry forward into adulthood, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. creating an environment, to, uh, when I look at, at school, I think, you know, learning ABCs and, and one, two, threes and all that kind of stuff is all well and good, but that's not the reason we go to school. We go to school so that be. we can be good citizens. <laughs> yeah. We go there to be good citizens. Those are great tools, right? Yeah. Being able to read and write and do math and, and understand basic science and all that kind of stuff is, those are great tools, but what, we, what we've done so much with our schools is we've, we've kind of focused so much on literacy and mathematics. Yeah. I mean, really, that's almost primarily what a lot of the public schools in the U.S. at least yeah. have focused on. And, you know, and the problem is, is that those are great things. But, but when you focus on those, that's like focusing on, you know, we're just going to learn how to use a hammer. <laughs> and we're going to learn how to use a hammer. And that's going to be the only thing we learn how to use. And you know Maslow's you know, quote about that, right? Yes. All you have is a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. So you know, yeah. going around the world like this <laughs> isn't going to be very functional. Right. But, you know, the, um, you know, but those are tools. So it's, yeah. it's like, so what I, what, the way I try to look at education, I try to look at preschool, 
is that it should look more like real life or it should be real life actually. Um, you know, coming together around a project and as you're working on that project together, sharing and discussing, you know, you might need the tool of literacy. You might need the tool of mathematics. You might need that social skill you've been working on. You might need your emotional, you know, regulation. You might, you know, and all these tools that you've been working on through your play come into play to create that project because after all, that's what I spend my life doing, you know, is getting together <laughs> yes, with other yeah. people and basically saying, well, what are we going to do and how are we going to do this together? Yeah. And I don't, I don't sit down and do literacy in my day-to-day -day life, but I read every day. Yeah. I don't sit down. I never sit down and do math. I used to ask groups of people, I'd go speak yeah. at a conference or something, and I'd ask a room full of teachers, when was the last time you sat down and just did math? And there's always one or two yeah. who actually sit down and do math yeah. for fun. My husband would be among them. We right. Cur and currently then, have a giant whiteboard in the living room full of calculus. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's just wonderful. a hobby. <laughs> and I, you know, right, it's a hobby. And I, and, and of course, that means his brain has worked on certain things and it comes in really handy, I'll bet mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah. I bet he does the taxes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, and so, you know, we need pe people like me, need people like him in the world. Right. But the yes. truth is, is most of us, we use our math every day, though. We need it to have a, to live a fulfilling life is mm -hmm. to be able to do basic mathematics. Same with science. You know, you know, we don't anyway. Yeah. So this is this is reminding me of two things. Um, one is um, Lillian Katz's distinction between academic skills and intellectual skills. And I, I think that's kind of where this sales resistance um, or, or I guess another way to sort of talk through this idea of sales resistance is that, you know, they have, what we're giving them is an opportunity to develop that intellectual depth by allowing them to have their opinions and their responses and to, to have that, uh, you know, that ability to detect the BS. Yeah. Um, I, I remember, and I think I've probably told this story on the show before, but um, so I work in a preschool right now with three to five year olds and, um, but it's a speech language department. So I'm the mm -hmm. early childhood specialist and then we have right. therapists. Um, and one of the graduate students who was doing her clini clin clinical stuff there with a child um, had an activity that was intended to, to teach them classification skills. Uh -huh. And um I have always have to put this side note in that I don't have any control over that <laughs> or we wouldn't be doing activities. Right. But anyway, so she had two pictures. One was a farm and one was a forest and then little animals and the children were asked to classify where they should belong. And the, this little girl took out a duck and put it in the woods, the forest. And the teacher was like, or the clinician was like, no, that's, um, Ducks are farm animals. And the little girl just kind of walked over to me and quietly said, but there's no water on the farm. There's a pond in the forest. And that was such a good example for me of the difference between that sort of ability to think things through right. critical thinking rather than just the rote answer that. Right. And, and you know, that's the problem with adults having power, right? Because mm -hmm. we have power. I mean, this is actually different than me going to a door and knocking on their door in that sense, because you know, by virtue of being adult and by virtue of having the title educator or teacher, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, people are going to get mad at me for saying this, but it's actually an abuse of power in my view to go in and insist that you have to classify the duck as going on the farm rather than, you know, sometimes they go in the air. Sometimes, right. you know, sometimes, sometimes they end up on the dining room table. Yeah, right. Sometimes they're on the highway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, there's a lot of ducks. Maybe the duck wants to go for a walk in the woods. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And, you know, and, and we call that the wrong answer. 
Right. But that's not what we're not there for right and wrong answers. Mm-hmm. We're there to learn how to think because and to, to practice thinking and to give an opportunities to think because thinking is indistinguishable from learning. Mm-hmm. The thinking is where the learning is happening, even if you get the wrong answer. Right? Right. And, There's and, value in the process that brought you there. Exactly. It's it's all about the process, the mm-hmm. process of thinking. I mean, I, I go back to this one story. Um that was, I had this group of kids um, that had, um, we had frozen some ice, right, in the sensory table. And I, I thought they'd goof around with that and everything. And, you know, they, they got to the table and, and, and they were playing with it. And I did that playing dumb thing where you, I was kind of, kind of goad them a little bit. It's like, hey, I put ice in here. Who put the water in here? It was like a little bit irritated <laughs> yeah. with them, right? Yeah. And, you know, kids were just immediately, well, teacher Tom, no, when ice gets warm, it melts and it's actually just turning into water. Nobody put it in there. And, I was like, what are you talking about? It's not warm in here. It's a normal temperature. And then we ended up in this great discussion about relative temperature and oh, wow. all of these kind of things. But it was, it, I, what I love is, 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 is that's the way to me to engage in, in, into a dialogue where they're starting to cobble together their own curriculum amongst right. themselves. Right. Um, that's one of the saddest things about COVID to me is not having the kids together to do that with each other. Because mm-hmm. I swear, you know, if you're putting kids in front of the computer for enough time to make that happen, um, that's going to be doing physical and all kinds of damage right. to the children to stick them there in front of yeah. a computer. Yeah. And that, um, that so often when we hear, think about Vygotsky and scaffolding yeah. and all that, we think that the adult is the only more experienced person who can do that. But so often I see it in the children in just situations like you're describing where they start to talk about their ideas, correcting adults and, right. and, and sort of bonding over that. Um, they're scaffolding for each other and learning from each other. And I think that's the real idea of social learning. Like yeah. not. I'm going to give you a great scaffolding conversation that happened a while, a while ago. There were, I was playing with the Play-Doh, no, uh-huh. this ball of Play-Doh. And there was a group of, I guess there were four or five girls, four and five-year-olds. And it was just me and these girls and we were making stuff and baking stuff and having a party or whatever we were doing. And, and one of the girls, she was, you know, goofing around. She was feeling high spirited. And she just came over to me and stuck out her little butt and said, teacher Tom, look at my butt. And I said, Mari, I don't want to look at your butt. Mm-hmm. And, and then her friend Willa came over and said, no, teacher Tom, look at my butt. Oh, no. And I just, you know, I said, I don't want to look at your butts. Yeah. And they were sort of offended. And, and Willa said, well, why don't you want to look at our butts? And I said, well, I don't know. I suppose that's where your poop comes out. And I don't want to think about your poop right now. <laughs> And then one of the girls was sitting over here, little Aurelia, and she said, well, pee comes out of my butt. And we all just kind of looked at her like, uh-huh. um, and then one of the girls said, Aurelia, pee doesn't come out of your butt. I think you're thinking about diarrhea. <laughs> and, and then another girl said, no, no, your, your pee comes, you know, your pee comes out of your vagina. Uh-huh. And then another girl said, no, 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 no. The vagina is the inside part. The outside part's called the vulva. Good for her. And, you know, here I am. You know, I'm a man, right? I'm Googling away, right? I don't, you know, I, I'm not quite clear, right? And, right I'm yeah. away. and then Willa kind of stops, she stops everybody. And she stepped forward and she said, no, no, no. I have a body book. Pee comes out of your urethra. 
There you go. <laughs> and I just sat there and they cobbled together amongst themselves through scaffolding one another. It was mm -hmm. a perfect example of that. And I like using the word scaffolding there because I. Yeah, usually I, have, I, I avoid using it. But. Well, I, I really, <laughs> I love Vygotsky and I think he's, he's really influential, but that term uh, scaffolding is, I think, abused so I, much. I do too, yes. It, what it just basically tends to mean is I'm going to come tell you how to do it. It's, and, it's a euphemism for adult direction. <laughs> exactly. It has become that, has right? Become, I yes. I don't yeah. really feel like Vygotsky meant it that way. No, I don't either. Um, you know, and I, I find myself, you know, thinking that it's, um, anyway, so I, I don't <laughs> like using it, but when you put it in that framework, uh -huh. uh, kids scaffold each other, yes. And that's, I mean, do it with dinosaurs. I don't know anything. I don't have to know anything about dinosaurs to have a yes. great age-appropriate curriculum surrounding dinosaurs. And they're using words way above a three-year-old's head, right? Carnivore and herbivore yeah. and concepts like extinction and, and, and uh, talking about the molten core of the earth and, you know, because volcanoes always get involved with the dinosaur conversation and, they, <laughs> and they're talking about evolution and they talk about all kinds of things that, you know, a normal school curriculum probably wouldn't be introducing at that age. Right, right. But or, in context, when they're teaching one another, mm -hmm. it works. Right. And, and then you're more sort of, you can be more sure that this is really relevant to them. You know, I could come in and teach them all that vocabulary, try to teach them and do a, you know, mm -hmm. a dinosaur theme or a body theme or something. But, but I don't know that it's really relevant to anyone well, right. when I in first that started, group. But when they're yeah. taking it over, you know, it's relevant. Yeah, when I first started teaching, I would do that. Sometimes I'd be nervous about, you know, like we're going to have a circle time and I got to know what we're going to talk about. Uh -huh. And I would like plan a topic. Yeah. And I would introduce a topic and I would talk about dinosaurs or something like that. And then after about five minutes, I'd be done. Yeah. And then the next kid would, would say, my grandma's staying at my house. <laughs> I mean, it was just, <laughs> it just complete. And that of course became the conversation. And right. I, learned, I learned, I think pretty early on at least, is that that made it so much easier because then the next kid wants to talk about their grandma and somebody else says, well, my aunt's coming. Well, I'm going to go yeah. to my grandma's house. Well, my grandma lives in California. Where's California? And we'd look at the map, you know, and yeah. it becomes this rambly conversation maybe to a pedagogue's point of view. Sure. But from the children, again, they've just, they put together a conversation about families and grandmas and distances and travel and mm -hmm. staying with each other and all of this stuff, yeah. something that you know, just like I couldn't have done that curriculum on the female genitalia by myself. I needed kids. I yeah. can't do dinosaurs by myself. I know nothing about their grandmas. And so this is a perfect, to me, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is not at all really relevant, but I have to tell the story uh, because you told your story. Um, one of our teachers last spring was pregnant. And so the children were all very curious about how that baby was going to get out of Miss Ann's tummy. And mm -hmm. so one little boy was sure that it, she would just poop it. And then one of the other, you know, all the grad students and people are looking at each other like, what do we do? What do we do? And then so one of the other little boys said, no, I think there's a different hole for babies to come out. And then, <laughs> and then they just started sharing that, you know, their own experience. Yeah. It was kind of fun. Um, so I have one more direction to sort of ask you to take okay. this conversation, um, specifically thinking about sales resistance uh -huh. in the context of guiding behavior. Okay. Um, because I think what we are drawn to as teachers is the easy fix, the short-term solution. Yeah. What is more valuable to them mm -hmm. is to sort of resist that and, um, and, uh, you know, really develop some skills or yeah. um, look at uh, 
Well, just to, to stay away from that short-term fix, that sales pitch that yeah. we get at all the conferences. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just conferences, it's the whole world, right? It's, mm-hmm. um, nobody likes to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the bottom line. You don't like to be told what to do. That's for sure. Um, if I say to you, stand <laughs> up right now, you're going to be resentful. And you see, you just disobeyed me. And yeah. now you're in trouble yeah. because you stand up because you made the decision. You, I only gave you two choices there. You could, yeah. you could obey or disobey. And that's what a command does. So when we say to a kid, you know, sit down or crisscross applesauce or whatever we're saying to a child, yeah. you know, we're putting in a position to, and it's, you know, I, I've seen research that shows that like 80% of the sentences adults say to children tend to be commands. Right. And so we're bossing them around kind of all the time. So it's kind of a miracle they ever do anything we, <laughs> we want them to do because when you issue a command, right, when you say sit down or stop hitting or any of those kind of commands or no running inside, you're not giving the child an opportunity to think, mm-hmm. which like I said before, and this is Eleanor Duckworth is where I kind of get this thinking, learning uh, nice. piece, the yeah. genius of talking about this. But um, I think her writing is really dry and boring, but boy, her ideas are good. I know. <laughs> it's taking me a while to get through this latest book that I yeah because you know, I can only do a little at a time. I love I it. Hope, I hope she doesn't hear this no. because <laughs> I respect her so much. But um, but the, the, you know it's um, well, try this mental experiment. I mean, I guess I guess this is the way to do it. You know, if you're sitting at home by yourself and you're watching TV and you're eating potato chips and you've got potato crumbs on you and you've spilled some on the floor. You've been watching. <laughs> that's right. Well, right. That's, that's my life. <laughs> but I've not been watching. And you know that you think to yourself, okay, at the next commercial, I'm going to go vacuum up the rug. Mm-hmm. And then your husband comes home uh, from his math hobby and <laughs> he comes home and says to you, vacuum the rug. That, those are fighting words, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. In the real world, those are <laughs> like, that would never even happen. And I'm already pissed off about the exactly. imagining. <laughs> exactly. Imagining that happening. And, and, and you know, that's you know, the middle finger comes out at that yes. moment. Uh-huh. And you, even though you know for a fact, that's your responsibility. You did it. You should clean it up. <laughs> and so it's a miracle the kids do anything they want. So for that's me, true. what I try to do is there's a number of things. One is I try really to avoid commands. So for me, it's about choosing like informational statements, mm-hmm. you know, instead of don't hit her, it, you know, when you hit her, it hurt her. Mm-hmm. And that might not, it's, it's it, and that shocks people sometimes, you know, it's kind of like, well, you should be commanding, you should be scolding that child. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've, what I've done is I have provided information that creates a space for them to do their own thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. And now they're thinking, and, and so their thinking is, well, I've hit her. And I've heard her. So now they're, they're thinking about the net and I'm not telling them what to do about it. I'm creating a space for them to decide what they need to do about it. Now, sometimes they're just going to try to run away or get away from it. Mm-hmm. And I can, you know, that, that, then the conversation can be along the lines of she's crying. I'm going to take care of her. And you can kind of role model, but again, using informational statements, instead of saying to a kid, sit down on the, you know, sit down on the rug for circle time. You can just say it's time for circle time. Mm-hmm. And have the ch- give the child the space for them to do their own th- And I'm not saying this is a panacea, that it works 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. But what you do is you create a space where children are thinking. And right. I have found that over time, when you create that kind of environment, children tend to really, they might think more creatively than you would. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you're Definitely. doing, you're, you're tidying up and you're doing something like, um, you know, instead of saying, put the block away, you say there's a block on the floor and it belongs on the shelf. Yeah. Okay. No. Take it, Tom. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Sometimes they're just going to say, nod there and sit there and look at it. But most of the time 
they're going to see that on the floor and they're going to, they're going to say, you know what? It is cleanup time and it's on the floor. You know what I could do is I could put that on that shelf. Yeah. And I guarantee in a room full of children, if you make that statement, at least one of them is going to have that thought and do it. Yeah. And then once that child has done it and you say, and then you could just make the observational statement. Oh, you know, Heather is putting the block on the shelf. Yeah. Well, then all the other kids are like, what about me? Right. I'm putting yeah. a block on the shelf. What about me? And, <laughs> as long as it's said authentically and it's not like that. Oh, Heather, I love how you're putting the blocks well, on the exactly. shelf. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, just it's, it's, to me, it's just all about neutral, yeah. neutral, making statements about what you see going on around you. Uh, because to me, and part of it is it's, I mean, this is, I have no scientific basis for this. This is just my theory. But it's, it's like, you know, one of the most ancient art forms we have, one of the most ancient ways that humans connect with each other is through storytelling, right? Through telling stories. It's, you know, we'd go, we'd go out hunting and gathering and then come back around the campfire and everybody tell their stories about their day. I mean, that, mm -hmm. was, the, that, was, the ultimate, that was the first form of entertainment, probably that and, you know, maybe singing and dancing, right? Yeah. Those are the three. And what, what I think of myself as doing, I'm just telling the story of right now. Mm -hmm. I'm telling the story of what's going on right now. And we all want to be part of the story. Most of us do. And I'll be part of that story. I mean, if you're sitting there and you're naming names, I'll never forget one time there's a little boy named River, two-year-old. And he had a wagon on the playground and he was filling it with these big rocks. And he was putting these big rocks in there that were heavy and he was lifting them, putting them in. And I just said, River is putting rocks in the wagon. And a few of the kids stopped and they watched him do it for a while. And then, and then they started putting, I said, well, you know, you know, Janet is putting rocks in the wagon. Sally is putting rocks. in." I just started telling the story of what I saw. Uh -huh. And then after the rocks were all in the wagon, then river tried to pull it up the hill and it was too heavy. And I said, R the wagon is very heavy. R river cannot pull it up the hill. Mm -hmm. These two year olds just without a word all Jumped started pushing. In. They all started pushing it and they took that, that, that load of rocks up to the top of the hill. And I, it's, just, it's just because they were, trying, they were becoming part of the story. And so I think a lot of that, to me, a lot of it is telling the story of what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain things that adults, right? And, and I know people are thinking right now, but there are things that they have to do. <laughs> if it's, you know, so we know about schedules, right? Young children tend yep. not to be really focused on schedules. We, right. you know, they might know the order of things, but you know, 10 yeah. o'clock means nothing to them. Right. Um, young children, you know, courtesy. That's another thing they probably don't know a lot about. You know, they kind of have to almost, we have to role model it at sure. least. And, you know, maybe um, safety. So, you know, we do see some safety things that maybe they don't see. So we kind of can guide them on those lines too about mm -hmm. safety. Yeah. Um, but for me, you know, so speaking factually about those kinds of things are fine because we understand them better. So it is time to go instead of, instead of get in the car. Right. It is, it is or are you ready to go? <laughs> yeah, instead, well, instead of are you ready to go, well, there's get two answers, yes, yes or no. Yeah. And you're going to yeah. get no as often as yes. Yeah. And then you've got a battle. But much better is to give them the opportunity to do their own thinking. And if you have a group of children, most of them decide, oh, I'm going to go get in the car or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go start cleaning up. And then the others join them. Yeah. I think the other way, and this is especially when you get to kids that are three and four and five and have better language skills um, another thing that we do is, is the children, I've never made a rule for the children myself. Um, the rules are always direct, always created by the children in, in, through a process of consensus. Uh -huh. So, you know, when we started the school year every year, it would always be, I would tell the parents, you know, we are in an official state of anarchy. The kids, there are no rules. Um, you know, our only job is to keep them from killing each other. Uh -huh. And always, 
always within, usually within the first hour, but generally with, it's always in the first day, someone would say, hey, she hit me. And that's when I said, boy, you didn't like that. I can tell you didn't like that. Mm-hmm. You know, how about we all agree not to hit each other? And of course, you know, nobody likes to be hit. So they all agree. You can yeah. put it on a piece of butcher paper, write it on the wall, no hitting. Um, and then, you know, as soon as they realize what's going on, it's, they, get the, they get the Ten Commandments down, right? No kicking, no biting. <laughs> they start listing them all, yeah. You know, screaming in people's ears and they, they, and they all agree. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly now what that changes is now I'm not sitting there saying no hitting, no running inside, no taking things. My role is to just to remind them of the agreements they've made with their friends, right? My, yeah. my job is then to say to them, I want to remind you we all agreed no hitting. Oh, sorry. I want to remind you we all agreed not to take things from other people. Yeah. And suddenly now I'm putting them in a position where it's not me that's telling them what to do. It's the it's putting them in a position to reflect on their own agreements that they've made with one another. And it's really wonderful to watch children react to these and mm-hmm. how they, once they understand the process and how this works and that they have that much power, um, sometimes that's what we'll do for weeks on end is the kids will just every day, I've got another idea. Add more lists, add more rules. I've got another one. And we end up with hundreds and hundreds of, you know, <laughs> uh, the most recent school year, the, the biggest issue was for some reason we had to legislate the throwing of everything. So it was sort of like no throwing rocks at people, no throwing sticks at people, no throwing, you know, no throwing water at people. No throwing, and we had to, like, we couldn't just say generically because I sort of at one point said, oh, we just say no throwing anything at people. And, Nope. <laughs> eh, that's okay. But we also want to say no throwing dinosaurs at people and no throwing, you know, uh-huh. yeah. but that's okay because that, you know, then we get, you know, then when these things happen and they would, they themselves would look up at that list of rules and they're not literate. They can't read it, but they could point to you exactly which one said means. everything yeah, amongst yeah. the hundreds. Yeah. So, and that, I think that comes back to relevance too, because now the rules are relevant to their life. Um, I mean, I honestly just don't do much with rules, but, um, but we do what you're saying. You know, we describe what's happening and we make yeah. factual statements and it's all data that goes yeah. in for them. But, and, and honestly, when I've, when I've read you, uh, your, your books or blogs that talk about letting the children make the rules, my mind is always like, yeah, it's still adult directed. It's not really going to work, <laughs> but hearing you describe it, you know, it's yeah. when you're in the moment, here's the inspiration from the rule. And then it goes from there. Well, and they, they inspire once they, yeah. once they've got the idea down, uh, and some of them become the experts on it. It's like, they'll just sit down and say, let's do rules today. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like the adults, our job ends up being um, mitigating their rules because they actually will create these environments where moving alone is, is violating the rules. Right. And then you've got to walk them through. It got to the point where they had, a, they had a rule. It was like, it was something like, they all agreed to not... Uh, don't do anything to anybody unless you ask them first. Oh, wow. Which at first, you know, you're thinking, wow, that is consent. That is a wonderful rule. I mean, that's beyond the golden rule, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about others. You have to ask them before you do anything. But then it got to the point where they're like, teacher Tom, she looked at me and she didn't ask me first. <laughs> so, you know, you find yourself mitigated, you know. Kind yeah, of and it's, that's one of those things that's a funny story, but also so much intellectual engagement is involved yeah. in that, you know, thinking through our rules and what can I find? Yeah. And that's classifying. Well, it, like, that's it, relevant. Classifying. That goes right back to the BS detector, right? Mm-hmm. They're understanding that, you know, some of these things are BS mm-hmm. and some of the things aren't. And they realized very soon one, one girl, a boy was breathing on the back of her neck and she sure. raised her hand and said, no breathing. And all the kids, <laughs> they'd all seen what was happening and they all agreed, no breathing. And then of course that rule had to change in about, you know, two minutes. Yeah. 
less than two minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, because they realized right away, okay, well, we went too far there. Uh-huh. And so to me, you know, they're always flexible. They're not hard and fast and I don't make them. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I create, the, I can start creating the list and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And create the environment where that's a safe thing to do. Right? And well, and after all, isn't that really the, the heart of democracy, of a democratic society, of a self-governing people? Is making, As I recall. <laughs> yeah, it's making, uh, making agreements with one another and then, and then, uh, and then, agree, then uh, abiding by those agreements. Yeah. Or if you can't anymore, talking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, saying, you know what, I don't like that one. Let's talk about it again. Let's, let's reopen that discussion. And that's the way... Uh, ideal. I mean, I, I was talking about this in Iceland one time several years ago, and, and afterwards a guy came up to me and said, you know, you keep saying democracy, but isn't, aren't you just talking about anarchy? And he meant that in the political yeah, sense. Yeah, right, yeah. But I realized, you know, because uh, Utah Phillips, um, who I just think he's one of the geniuses of our time, mm-hmm. um, but he was an anarchist. And, he, and he, one of the things, his definition of anarchy was, I will not obey, but I'm always ready to agree. Uh-huh. And to me, that is, that's, to me, that's also the stance in a democracy too. Is yeah. I don't obey you, you don't obey me, but you know what? Let's come to an agreement with each other. And maybe the agreement is you go play over there and I'll go play over there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so uh, do you have any, I guess, any last thoughts or last messages you'd like to send to people listening to this? Um, if you're still at home, if you're a parent, do you have parents in your audience? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you're, a, if you're a parent, don't be stressing out about, about education right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're home with your kid right now, um, you know, in your school, and in, 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 don't, don't feel like you have to do anything other than just love your child. You don't have to do anything different. You don't have to, there's, we're not having an educational crisis right now. That's not what we're having. We're having a health crisis and we're having a childcare crisis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're an education crisis. Right. Nobody's falling behind. There's nobody to fall behind. Everybody's, if, if everybody's falling, falling behind, behind. <laughs> there's no such thing as falling behind when it comes to education, because the goal is not knowing stuff. The goal is thinking about stuff. Uh-huh. That's, um, uh, hopefully very reassuring for parents to hear that kind of thing, but I know the struggles they're in right now, man. It's, well, and I think, I mean, just if time. I can add one more thing, and I know Absolutely. Later, you can cut anything out you want. I, I don't, I'm oh, I don't edit that. anything. <laughs> it, it's interesting to me. Um, are you familiar with Alison Gopnik? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, you know, she's written several great books and yeah. I just love her work. And, and she, she, in one, in her book, I think it's the gardener and the, gardener carpenter. And the carpenter. Yeah. Um, she talks about this idea of what we've done with, with par- the relationship of being a parent and we've made it into parenting. Mm-hmm. We've turned it in from a re- to a relationship into a verb. Yeah. And this love is something that. And she, that. Well, she tracks it back and she says, you know, really the use of the word parenting didn't really exist in the literature till, uh, you know, the early 1960s. And so this is something, and and now, of course, we have entire sections of bookstores. We have, you know, we have parenting experts. We have parenting, 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 parenting. It's like a huge industry. Yeah. And what that does is it it puts so much pressure on parents to do something, to manufacture a child. And and this idea that they're going to be judged by the results. Um, You know, I'm not being judged, you know, I'm your friend. Mm -hmm. But I'm not, you know, I'm not friending you. (laughs) 
you know? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I'm a spouse, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband, but I, you know, and I have a wife, but I'm, you know, I'm not husbanding her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, parenting, being a parent is a relationship. Yeah. And the, all that other stuff, the, the, the verb parts of that word, um, you know, we need to just sort of set those aside a little bit because it's putting too, way too much pressure, especially since we live in a world with, like I said, everybody divided up. Yeah. yeah. And parents are really kind of hanging out on their yeah. own. And especially right now when we've got to be, you know, physically distancing and everything else. Yeah. Don't be alone and just know it's okay. You don't have to be a perfect parent. Yeah. Just love them. Just love them. I've, I have been known to take post-its into bookstores and on the post-it write, don't read this book and then read instead uh, Alison Gopnik, Alfie Cohn, and uh, uh, oh, the whole brain guy. Anyway, and stick it yeah. in like the super nanny books. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> and the Dobson books that are still out there. I've, um, I've, I've turned books, you know, with their backs that I do. Oh, yes. Do I've done that before. <laughs> they, they really don't like when you do that. No, I know. Yeah. But that's okay with me. I like it when I do that. So well, my best one is if you, to, if you go to Costco, you got any Costco's there? No, but yeah. well, but, you know, Costco is a big, yeah. a big box store, and they're yeah. they're founded here in Seattle. So, um, and they just they used to. I haven't been to Costco in years, but they used to just sell books, good prices and pretty good books. Uh-huh. But they just put them in stacks on a table, right? They weren't up on yeah. shelves or anything like that. Yeah, and. Um, and I would, I would go in sometimes and just, if I saw a book I didn't like, I would just put it at the bottom of the stack and I would just stack <laughs> all the other books on top of it. <laughs> it's my little act of anarchy. I can little act of, yes. Mess exactly. up the parenting sections. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for this conversation. Oh, thank you, Heather. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I have really appreciate it. Uh, appreciated it. So, and if people want to find you, you've got your blog, you're on Facebook. Teacher Tom's blog. You can find me, Teacher Tom on Facebook. Uh, I'm gonna, I have a parenting, uh, an e-course coming out probably within the next couple of weeks. That, uh, so keep an eye open for that. You'll mm-hmm. find it out about that via the, the Facebook page. We've got a brand new, I've never had a website before. We've got a website that's oh. coming up soon. So we've got a lot of stuff going on right now. Right. Um, but really, uh, just, just search people. Teacher Tom oh, and they'll oh, find you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. All right. Well, uh, thank you again. And thanks everybody for listening to another episode. We'll see you next week. That's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.